for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Kerry Crowley, who covers the San Francisco Giants for the Bay Area News Group, about the Giants' off-season plans. We plow through this December into what could be the start of baseball season. They're talking sometime in May, but the Giants still have lots of work to do in their starting rotation, their bullpen, and maybe how they fill out the bottom of this lineup. All things we can discuss, including some of the recent signings by the Giants, with Kerry Crowley, who joins me next. It's Monday, December 28th. It's my pleasure now to welcome in Kerry Crowley. He covers the Giants for the Bay Area News Group. And Kerry, I'm going to whisper this here to you. Don't tell Grant Brisby or Andy Baggerly, but you're one of my favorites to talk Giants baseball <laughs> with, dude. How are you, man? Welcome to the update. I'm doing well, and uh, I will tell Grant that because I try to lord everything over his head. But uh, I'll try and keep it away from Bags. Well, what's so funny is, is you're probably like me with Grant, where like you go back to like being a Giants fan in the Bay Area as a kid. You and I were probably reading Grant on McCovey Chronicles like 10, 15 years ago in the thralls of December, man. And now here you are <laughs> trying to come up with some stories before we get to the new year, dude. No doubt. It's actually like a joke among my friends because we all sit around and watch Giants games during the summer. And we would talk about like Grant writing about Giants prospects in like 2006 and getting hyped for Tim Lincecum when we were in sixth grade on McCovey Chronicles because it was like the cool site to be on when you were a kid our age. And so it's really fun to actually meet uh, the people that you read every day growing up. And so that's been a real joy for me. And, uh, and still, Grant is still able to bring the ideas magically this many years later. So nothing but respect to him. He actually had a great piece in The Athletic last week, and I want to just hit on this with you for like a jumping-off topic here. He had sort of gone year by year over the last several years into this season with what the Giants' payroll is and how flexible they can be. Now, since Farhan's taken over, all they've had is payroll flexibility, but they've yet to make a splash in free agency. I know Farhan had said to, to Tim Kawakami a couple weeks ago that he didn't know that they were quite yet ready to make a big splash and grab somebody. I think we're all kind of thankful. They didn't bring in Bryce Harper a couple years ago, at least at this point. I think we're happy about that. So I'm just wondering what you think the Giants' offseason goals are. I know pitching is, a, is an important asset they need to get. They've started to do that. But where are you with the Giants right now as far as payroll goes? And when do you think, I mean, we don't know what the gate revenue is going to look like, but I'd expect at some point this thing is going to expand. It's really hard to peg down right now, Adam, just because you know, they're still in the midst of this multi-year rebuild where they're still trying to build something for the future, a sustainable long-term product. But I kind of look at the 2020 Major League Baseball season. And remember, there were two flags that will fly after this season. The Los Angeles Dodgers will have their 2020 World Series flag and the Boston Red Sox will be able to apply their payroll flexibility flag that they got for trading Mookie Betts because that's really what their ultimate goal was, to win the payroll flexibility battles. And I think that every fan in Boston was thrilled when they got rid of Mookie and were able to do that. And so, <laughs> What a dumb battle to win. You know? <laughs> exactly. But I do think that within the next two years, the Giants are going to have to spend and spend it in a meaningful way that makes this baseball team better at the top levels of the roster to avoid kind of the danger of being associated with the Boston Red Sox and flying a payroll flexibility flag because the Giants just haven't done that yet under Farhan Zaidi, and I get why they haven't. It makes a lot of sense considering where they were at the end of the 2017 season, 98 losses, needing to completely rebuild. They went after Evan Longoria and Andrew McCutcheon. That didn't work out, even though they stayed under the competitive balance tax threshold. But you look at the way that this roster has been built. Farhan has really focused at the beginning on, I would say, the final five to ten spots on the 40-man roster. The last two years, he's kind of crept his way up the 40-man roster, and now he's really made over probably the bottom 25 to 30 slots. Now, if you're looking at 2021-2022, 
you're talking about a bunch of guys coming off the payroll and Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Johnny Cueto, and they're going to have to spend. They're going to have to focus on the upper echelons of this roster. And so I do anticipate, whether it be this offseason or next offseason, the Giants to make some major slashes. Sort of makes me wonder about 2020 in terms of like taking stock in what you have, right? Like there was a lot of young faces and a lot of new guys we saw this year. I think about, you know, Caleb Berger is just one that comes to mind as a guy who was not on the big league roster, had not made a big league appearance, and then kind of became an asset in the bullpen. I'm wondering when I look back at 2020, how much we can take out of this as far as what we know about the Giants and how much weight we put into them going almost 500. I mean, really, it's only a third of a season relative to what we could see in a full 162. I think we realized that Mike Yastrzemski is the guy that we saw two years ago. He's not a career minor leaguer. This guy can get it done at the big league level. But other than that, I'm not so sure about what's concrete, what's real, and what was 2020. Yeah, I think what I would put weight in and what I would buy stock in with regard to the Giants in the 2020 season is the processes, is Gabe Kapler and this innovative coaching staff's way of doing things. I think by the second half of the season, they figured a lot out. They'd sorted a lot out. They had you know, the worst defense in the major leagues for the first two weeks of the season. They had one of the worst bullpens in the major leagues for one of the first two, three weeks of the season. After Trevor Gott blew that third consecutive save against the uh, Angels down in Anaheim, the Giants had the best bullpen in the major leagues, and it wasn't particularly close from that point forward. I believe it was a 2.53 ERA, and you look at the defense, it mirrors it. The Giants really were one of the best defenses over the second half of the season. We know that this offense gets talked about so much because so many guys had bounce back seasons, whether it be Brandon Crawford or Brandon Bells or Mike Yastrzemski taking that step forward, Austin Slater finally playing up to the potential that he's really showed since high school as an elite prospect. And I think that all of those things were really important for the Giants, but it was the widespread adaptations of the processes and the embracing nature the Giants players showed uh, to the processes that leads me to believe that what they built this season is a foundation that could lead to future success. And some of the players will be the same two years from now. Some will be different. But I do think that this coaching staff is going to be able to extract value from the roster that Farhan gives them. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. If you're putting weight into the fact that what they did and how their process to get there, what their process was to get there worked, then I think you can say or you can buy into the idea that that will extrapolate over a 162-game season if you believe in the process, which sort of makes me wonder about the pitching side of things, right? Like, we've seen this over a couple of years, and we actually saw it on the hitting side, too. When Farhan first got here, he grabbed his Connor Joes and his Mike Reeds, and it freaked people out because this isn't the way the Giants have done things. They had everyday lineups. They had guys you could put out there for 140 and 150 games. Then he did it to the pitching side, and we saw a little bit of that last year, and grabbing a guy off the scrap heap with Kevin Gosman, doing it with Drew Smiley, a guy who needed to rehab. Tyler Anderson, sort of the same thing, and now they're starting to do it again. Anthony DiScalfani gets signed, former Cincinnati Red. This guy had one of the best seasons, if not the best season of his career in 2019, and then we didn't see him pitch well at all last year for the Reds, and then they grabbed John Brebia from the St. Louis Cardinals, who was a reliever, a hard thrower, a guy who's been very good, but he's 30 years old, coming off of Tommy John. They're low-risk, high reward guys, but Farhan's doing it again and I think maybe that's what we're seeing is because they saw this process work over the last two years that you can buy into this again, I think fans just are looking for some of the players that they love, right? You're looking for for brand name guys. Yeah, and what I would say about the pitching side, and you make great points with Gossman and Smiley and even going back to Drew Pomerantz, he was a Farhan pickup who really found himself out of the bullpen. I think that at some point they become so reliant on kind of finding guys off the scrap heap and turning these little rags to riches stories, for lack of a better turn of phrase there, 
that at some point, some of these pitchers aren't going to materialize. You know, Tyler Anderson was solid. He was actually the pitcher the Giants relied on most down the stretch in the 2020 season. But at some point, they're going to run out. Maybe DeSclafani doesn't pan out. Maybe the next signing doesn't pan out. They're still going to have a high success rate on turning these guys around. But that's why I do think that they're eventually going to need to focus on the top of the roster. And that's why I don't think that you know, a push for Trevor Bauer should be out of the equation because there's a little more certainty in someone like that. You know, Bauer hasn't had the greatest career, save for his 2020 National League Cy Young Award winning season, but he's an analytics darling. And you think about the improvements that he's made through the years and you think about sustaining that, it's a lot easier to count on that than it is to continually count on bounce back seasons from guys who were terrible the year before or coming off an injury like Brebbia is. I just think that they should be exercising a little bit more caution and maybe accumulating a little more depth on the pitching side. And, and I do think that that will be a goal throughout the rest of this offseason. And I think what's interesting about these moves is Brebbia was a, I believe he's a major league deal. And I think Di Scalfani is too, correct? Yeah, both major league deals. Brebbia will open the season on the 60-day injured list. So they will get that 40-man spot back because he had Tommy John in June. So realistically, we can't really expect him back until June 15th at the absolute earliest. It's so funny. I wonder about that. Like Farhan sees this guy. He's like, wait, he had Tommy John and he hasn't pitched in two years and he's an upside guy? Put that guy on my roster. Sign that guy up. Give that guy a uniform. Find him a number. Team control through 2023. That's the most valuable phrase in like the Boston Red Sox payroll flexibility flags fly forever lexicon. (laughs) Payroll flexibility. That's what it's all about. Until you don't need it, then you can go spend it. One more thought here on Tyler Anderson. Were you surprised they didn't bring him back to me? That was, I kind of thought it was a no brainer and then he was not tendered a contract. What went into that decision after really? I mean, you talked about them relying on him. Seemed to me like he would have been sort of a cheap asset to bring back. Yeah, hard to read this one, Adam, and and for a few different reasons. I think we would have had a much better understanding had we been in the clubhouse this year and and being able to do our reporting in a normal fashion. And I, of course, was supportive of all the different protocols that went into place to keep everyone safe this year. But I do think that we would have had a better read on how the coaching staff viewed Tyler Anderson. And I do think that at some level, it was a ceiling issue. With Kevin Gossman and Drew Smiley, there was so much untapped potential with those two guys that you know, the Giants really felt that they could coach them up and maximize everything that they had to offer. With Tyler Anderson, you're looking at a guy who really topped out at 90, 91 miles an hour. His best secondary pitch was a changeup, and the Giants prefer spin. They prefer sliders, and then if a guy doesn't have a slider, they want that next secondary to be a curveball. And so that's why I don't think they were ever really in love with Tyler Anderson as a pitcher. And they felt like, yes, you could probably get another 4.5 ERA season out of him. You could probably get another league average season. But at that salary, you might want to use that money and that roster spot, better said, to go out and find someone with more upside, you know, who's got higher reward when you're signing him to a major league contract. Interesting stuff, dude, that you point out the wanting the secondary pitch to be a curveball or, or some kind of breaking ball. That's why they went and they got Matt Whistler, right? Exactly. I mean, like, I, like his secondary pitch is the fastball. Like he's a slider guy. <laughs> yeah, 83% sliders last year. I mean, I have no idea how someone like that has success because every hitter knows exactly what's coming. But, hey, he had a 1.07 ERA for the Minnesota Twins and a pretty decent sample size. They used him almost every other day last year. So why not try that out? Why not try to maximize that? He's like the Sam Selman of the right-handed pitching staff. 
uh, of the San <laughs> right. Francisco Giants, where he's just flipping in sliders and hoping for the best. Ask Miguel Cabrera about knowing a slider's coming and still not being <laughs> able to hit it, right? See Sergio Romo in, in 2012. One more question for you, Kerry, on the way out. Farhan Whitney made that trade. It was a minor league trade to get Mike Yastrzemski here. I'm just wondering, their farm system is on the way up. You've got so many good pieces. You want to hang on to a bunch of them. You're not able always to hold on to all the pieces, and not all of them pan out. Do you think the Giants are going to find value somewhere in the trade market? Would they be in on trying to get somebody via trade rather than just money, or is it because the, the payroll flexibility is so great right now? Maybe money's the better option just because you want to hold on to your young talent. I actually think they almost have to look at the trade market as their preferred opportunity to find value right now, Adam, and that's because at this point in the offseason, the 40-man roster is full, and it's full of guys that they, for the most part, really like, or prospects who are coming up. And granted, they're going to have some open roster spots in spring training the first day when you can place guys on the 60-day injured list like Brebbia. But I do think that you know it might make sense to flip a Donovan Solano for a starting pitcher who's a mid-rotation guy, even though Solano had a great season last year at the plate for the Giants. If there's no DH, they've got Solano, Flores, Belt, and then Buster Posey all able to play on the right side of the infield, and Posey's not catching. He can go play first base, and you've just got a glut of infielders, and so many of those guys have value. So you know, is Solano or Flores an option for a team that's looking to part with a starting pitcher? Do the Giants potentially part with an outfielder? Maybe Austin Slater, who everyone thinks is a building block for the future, but they've also got several guys coming through the system and led by Elliot Ramos out there who are going to be taking up valuable playing time in the future. And Slater's someone who's in his prime, ready to go. He's oft injured. So you could be parting with someone who's got some value there. But I do think that if they're going to remake this pitching staff, you could definitely see a trade of a major league player, which we really haven't seen from Farhan outside of the deadline when it was obvious moves. Look at us, man. The thralls of December talking about the, the <laughs> ancillary pieces on the San Francisco Giants roster, man. Kerry, you're the best, dude. I love talking ball with you. We'll catch up with you later. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. Appreciate it. Always love talking baseball with Kerry Crowley. You can follow him on Twitter at KO underscore Crowley. He does a great job covering Giants baseball throughout the season. Thank you to Kerry. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you're listening to us. We are about to flip the calendar to 2021. I know a lot of people happy to see 2020 go. We'll talk to my good friend Brian Murphy of KNBR on both Wednesday and Friday. Actually, Wednesday, we'll do a look back at 2020. How will you remember the 2020 sports landscape? And then on Friday, January 1st, we'll talk to Murph about how we'll look forward to 2021. Maybe a little look at the Giants, a look at the Warriors and the 49ers as we plow into 20. 2021 and try to put 2020 behind us. Thanks to everybody who's joined us this year. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday.